Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a food patriot to the natural world, and a person who knows healthy soils is basic to human health. Uh, behind the glass is Hunter. Good morning, Hunter. Good morning. Good morning, and we're very pleased to have in studio with us the president of the Minnesota Farmers Union, President Gary Wersch. And uh, so welcome. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Gary. Yeah, thanks, Laura. Thanks to be here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and so you guys got a big conference coming up. We do. We have our uh, state convention coming up this coming weekend, or next week, on the 17th and 18th of November. And it's, uh, you know, Farmers Union, we're a grassroots-based organization, or we have county conventions in the fall where members get together and debate resolutions, and whatever passes at the county level gets debated at the state level, and whatever passes at the state level at our state convention, that's what we advocate as we work on advocating for farmers and rural communities in St. Paul and Washington, D.C. Great. So this is going to be this is the seventy-seventh time that you've had this convention. Yeah, this is our seventy-seventh consecutive annual meeting uh, that we've had. Our roots go back farther than that. We go back to nineteen o two in West Point, Texas, where the, a group of farmers weren't being treated fairly. Cotton farmers at that point uh, selling their gin to a, or selling their cotton to a cotton gin, and so they got together and worked and. Uh, Got a better price for cotton, and then up in the Midwest here in the early 19 or the early 1900s, it, we started organizing. And uh, our first organized chapter was in Jackson County, the Ross County local, 100 years ago in 1918. Years so, ago. so we've been so, around a long time. So the third word is union, and so the first word is Minnesota Farmers Union. So it's a union. What is it? It's you know that's been our name for you know it's. It's a union, but it's really it's a union of farmers, rural uh, rural people, just working together for advocating together. And we had a lot, we had a large role in starting the cooperative movement. Uh, but it's a union of people working together. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. And a couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of uh, attending your governor's forum, and people can listen to Food Freedom Radio. Tim Walls was there, and I just I love that forum. I really did because it was sort of. Sort of how I envision Minnesota politics. Let's let's really just talk about the ideas. Healthcare. How do we get farmers back in the land? How do we improve soil? How do we get better nutrition for kids? And people sitting around in not a drama hat, but just sitting around trying to strategize on what what really does make sense and inform each other and and create something that's more sane and kind and regenerative and sustainable that it's very very true i mean and that's what we did to need to do you know that day you know congressman waltz came in and uh Listen to people, basically, is what he did. He listened to a lot of people that were there uh, from different ways of life and different types of farming operations and, uh, you know, brought up issues and how they affect them. And that that's how we, you know, we have to come, we have to listen. We can't just, you mentioned drama, we can't do that. You know, we, we got to get off that. We got to we got to listen to each other and uh, come to common solutions, figure out how, how can we work together to fix some of these issues facing us. You know, health, you mentioned healthcare. Healthcare is probably one of the biggest issues facing farmers, but really it's facing everything. Everybody in the country, whether you're a small business owner or you're working for a large corporation, you know, the, the costs of health care just are not sustainable. And that's something we do need to take the politics out of it and uh, work together. You know, we it's been health care has been used to win elections and, and not getting anything done. And we we need to we need to start. Well, and then the done. intersection between food and health care. I mean, <laughs> part of the reasons that the food system is so bad, I and mean, we've had this epidemic of chronic diseases. Chronic diseases are going way high, and a lot of nutritionists believe it's because, like, the average person's eating about a person's size of sugar. So the average person gets about 130 pounds of sugar every year. <laughs> and so that's, you know, instead of eating a nice fruits and vegetables and eating food from the farm, we're eating so much of these unhealthy foods, which increase our health care cost. It is, yeah, it's very much so. And we live in, you know, everybody's working. We're in such a fast-paced society. So I think, I, you know, my personally, I think a lot of processed foods, you know, we're eating them for convenience. Uh, growing up on the farm as a young kid, uh, my mother would uh, throw a, a pot roast in the oven and uh, go out and work in the garden or help my father with chores or in the fields or whatever it was. But, you know, we didn't have access to the uh, processed foods back then, and uh, I, I think that's a lot of it. You know, we're we're just uh, you know everybody's working. You know, and it, it's, you know economy or the such a tight economy. You know, it's both spouses are seem to be you know have to work off the farm. So there's when they get home and whether they're on the farm or working in town, they don't have the time to prepare the meals. So I, I think that is some of it. But we food definitely is uh, you know what we eat 
goes in our body does definitely affect our health. There's no, no two ways about it. Yeah. And one thing that at the convention, at that um, Governor's Forum is from Hmong Farmers Association, Paku Hong, talked about food as a place of commonality and how we create that commonality. What well, is, and that's, you know, that's the one thing is, you know, as, uh, as a farmer, you know, everybody needs to eat, you know, and, and uh, we need to eat well, we need to eat, and good food, you know, so there, yeah, it is a commonality, and that, that is one thing that, you know, you can to put politics aside or whatever it is, we just got through a divisive election on some, at some points, but, you know, everybody does need to eat, so it is a form of commonality, if Paku mentioned, you know, she stated that very well. Yeah, because I, I did like that. And the other thing I really loved about being in your building, there's a hallway with all these old photos. And there's something about that connection to the history. So let's go a little deeper into the history of the Minnesota Farmers Union. Yeah, the history, yeah, in our in our, off, our uh, conference room there, too, we also have a history wall, too. And they're kind of showing, trying to show, picked out points of our history of uh Minnesota Farmers Union International, you know, and there's some pretty good quotes in there. Uh, you know, it goes back, shows our involvement in the cooperative movement up in up in the Midwest here at Farmers Union. We we're very involved in starting a cooperative. Uh, if ever, most people have heard of the CHS cooperative. Uh, that's that goes back to our roots of starting that. Uh, and basically, it's just like the cotton farmers in Texas. We started it because uh, the farmer wasn't getting a, a fair price for his commodity selling it, and so we got to form together, formed a cooperative to compete with the multinational corporations to try and give the farmer a fair price. And then a few years later, we started um, what is called Senex uh, Farmers Union Central Exchange. At that time, um, the farmer on the farm, the Standard Oil, or use them as a name, they you know providing fuel out in most of the country and wouldn't deliver any fuel to the farm. And at that time, granted, it was probably just kerosene, probably just, you know, not many gallons. But uh, so the farmers formed a cooperative and so they could have on-farm delivery of their, you know, of their needs. So it's kind of, it's been our, and the cooperative movement has worked very well. You'll see it in the metro here. You have a lot of housing cooperatives, a lot of, you know, and there's some uh, food cooperatives. So it's a it's a model that does, it's been around a long time and it works very well. And uh, that's how really our farmers, you know, we got our start helping advance that movement. There's a nice quote on, uh, and I don't remember it exactly. I should have looked it on her from uh, Eleanor Roosevelt made a made a comment uh, and I we have it in our history all about uh, giving credit to Farmers Union about education that they were they were the ones advocating it but our roots go back a long time uh, the Rural Electrification Act that got passed in the late 30s uh, bringing electricity to the rural America Farmers Union had a role in that and another another big one that probably a lot of people aren't aware of uh, at the beginning of Social Security. Farmers didn't qualify for Social Security. The uh, Farmers Union had an active role in helping get legislation passed, so all of the you know everybody out there, the farmers could qualify for Social Security too. You know they had to pay into the system, but at the very beginning of it, they didn't. They were uh, excluded from it. So, so we've we've been around a long time. And we've done a lot of good things, and you know it's it's always good to look back at your history, and uh, you got to know where you come from. Sometimes uh, you can't forget where you came from to kind of as you look into the future and it's always good to remember your past right and so uh, let's continue with that conversation what has been some of the challenges what was the, like the 70s and the 80s like for the farmers union well actually you get in the we had the farm crisis in the early 80s and i you know and a lot of things led to that we had a poor uh, poor prices but we also had uh, high interest rates interest rates got up in, in into the mid into the high 20s so that was a combination of things that really you know really killed you on the farm and really caused the farm crisis but you know I, I think we're looking at that again we're very you know we're having now with the president's put, started the trade wars or put on the tariffs and so we've uh, effectively at this point we've lost our market to China for our soybeans which is a huge market for us we export well over half of our, our soybeans to China. So since that started that, and, and you go back to the beginning of it, I guess, you know, as Farmers Union, we did agree with the president. There's no doubt we need to look at trade agreements, you know, continue to look at them, and maybe we can make them better. We have no disagreement with that at all. But when we put the tariffs on now, you know, it's it's it's, it's causing long-term damage. That's what we're, we're really afraid of. It's caused approximately 20 to 25 percent loss of a loss in the in the price that you're getting. And, um, you know, we spent millions of dollars or checkoff funds advocating and building up these relationships and uh, getting mark securing markets. And the longer this drags on, 
we're gonna we're we're in danger of losing them some of them and it it takes years to get them back so that's uh you know i so i really think with the low prices we have now going into this year farmers are having trouble cash flowing and they worked with their lenders and are able to you know figure out a way to make it through but if if, the, if this continues and the prices stay low it's going to be a lot harder for farmers to hang in there and I, so I, I think we're potentially looking at another farm crisis Right, because so uh, soy, China's uh, Minnesota's big customer when it comes to the soybean market, and so and they're not buying the soybeans right now because of the trade war. Yeah, because it, well, it's because of the trade war and the tariffs put on. It's a twenty-five percent tariff, so they, yeah, they're they're securing their supplies from other other places in their long term and their plans are to just cut back on the use of soybeans so that so it's a detrimental effect to us it could have a long-term effect because you know we it's hard it's such a huge market for our farmers that you just can't replace it by going to another country you take multiple other countries to replace that market and uh, and we're not the only country in the world raising soybeans either brazil and uh, there's well, other countries brazil, raising i mean too. the thing that actually concerns me is are the rainforests is going to more rainforests is going to be torn down to make more soy fields to feed china and then how does that affect climate change well it definitely has given the brazilian uh, government and their farmers an incentive to do that because it it's lowered the price to our farmers but it's given them a boost in their price because they could you know they can get a little more out of their crop selling to china than they could previously so and then um who owns american farmlands there are nearly two million fewer owners of u.s agricultural land now than in 1945, and that was written in 1993. So it's a complex issue. We're talking with the Minnesota Farmers Union on Food Freedom Radio. Looking to offer high-end restaurant-quality food at your next event? Look no further than D'Amico Catering. Their talented team of event planners and chefs will collaborate to perfect a menu that best fits your needs. Whether emphasizing local cuisine or ethnic flavors, organic bites or summertime favorites, they're here to give you choices that align with your taste, budget, and style. Interested in learning more? Please visit D'AmicoCatering.com. That's D'AmicoCatering.com. I'm John Peterson of Ferndale Markets, and I'm the third generation to grow turkeys on our family farm in Cannon Falls. We've grown them the same way since 1939, free range and without antibiotics. We're proud of the way our turkey tastes naturally, so we don't add a thing. Just 100% pure turkey. Reserve your free-range Thanksgiving turkey today for pickup at our store right on the farm in scenic Cannon Falls or at one of our Metro retail partners. Visit us at FerndaleMarket.com for more information or to reserve your turkey today. Be sure to pick up your copy of this month's Natural Awakenings magazine, a free local guide to a healthier and more balanced life. Each monthly issue includes timely, local, national, and global stories. Learn about alternative and complementary medicine, nutrition, fitness for body and mind, personal growth, sustainability, and much more. Natural Awakenings can be found at area health food stores, food co-ops, and retail locations. More information is available at NaturalTwinCities.com. That's NaturalTwinCities.com. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. There are lots of ways to stay comfortable in the Minnesota winter. Hot cocoa, warm socks, and Standard's Winter Comfort Sale, where you can save up to $2,090 on a brand new 96% energy efficient furnace. There's also great deals on a variety of other furnaces and boilers. Don't wait. Unlike winter, these deals end November 30th. Learn more about Standard's Winter Comfort Sale at standardheatingdeals.com slash radio. Standard heating and air conditioning, comfort you deserve. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. Pee. 
Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and in studio with us is the president of the Minnesota Farmers Union, Gary Wirsch. And we, uh, and when I wanted to break, I, I briefly mentioned that the United States lost over 2 million farmers, and that was in the period from 1945 to 1993. And, and these, the loss of those small farmers has had a devastating impact on rural Minnesota. And and now we have another crisis with even more impacts. And at the governor's forum, uh, uh, governor-elect, um, and before he, before he won, but our governor-elect talked about how to help beginning farmers. So we're going to play a little clip from that forum. You can see it. Uh, my young son, who's a sixth grader, has talked about this or whatever. He, he wants to be a farmer. He thinks it looks like really funny. He said they have big houses and they work outside. That's the way he sees it. Because <laughs> he goes to grandma's house and he sees these old farmhouses and stuff. Um, but I do think there's a whole generation that would really like to get into this. But, I mean, if you were my age and my generation, if you didn't have a parent, if it wasn't a farm in your family, you didn't even think about it. I mean, it, there would have been a better chance of becoming an astronaut than becoming a farmer because you didn't have access to that capital. I think what the state can do is start to incentivize ways to make that happen. There's some tax credit increments and things that we can do, but I'm really concerned about this too because what, what folks on the land, and there's many of them in here, will tell you uh, if they're if their family's not staying on the land, who's the next one to come? How's it going to be? And we end up know what happening is we end up having consolidation. We just get bigger and bigger who can end up buying these things. And it just boggles my mind when I see, you know, land that going for twelve to $15,000 an acre. And we have people using, uh, you know, the, the offsets on taxes who sold a high-rise building in Chicago and needed to have a tax deduction for it, and they can use that and shift that directly over to offset their tax base by buying farmland and then rent it out. There, there's some distortions to how that's working, and I think we need to figure out a way to try and keep, and again, we're, we're market-based people, but we're also human beings, so you can use foresight and compassion in the decisions that you make, some way to figure out how do we get young folks back on the land. Another question that came up was... Yeah, so, was uh, so um, Gary, um, you want to react to that? How do, how do we keep young people on the land? Yeah, that is a problem. It, you know, we've been faced that for a long... It's always probably been the, uh, an issue. I remember even starting out when I started out as a young farmer. You know, it, but I, I, I was able to take advantage of the rural development and uh, get some low-interest loans to help you get started. But, you know, I think it's getting worse now because the amount of capital... Uh, Governor or uh, Congressman Waltz mentioned in there that twelve to fifteen thousand dollars an acre of land and the cost of machinery it, it's it's getting harder to start now I believe you know without any family behind you or any family help uh, so it is an issue that we need to we need to look at you know you know and the state can do it try and do it and he's mentioned some tax incentives so I I really think that's we need to focus on that there is a whole you know it just. A conventional corn and soybean farming operation, you know, the amount of capital required is so large. But there's other opportunities for other, you know, I know there's a lot of, there, there's an emerging group of us young farmers that want to get started. In some cases, they don't even have a farm background, but they're able to start on a small acreage somewhere raising a small amount of livestock or a small amount of vegetables or something like that. So we, we need to look at all avenues. You know, there's the conventional person that needs help on a large scale, but there's, you know, we, we need to look at it all because the more we can, the more farmers we can get out there on the land, the more it's going to help rural communities, even if they are small. And you know, a lot of times, some, a lot of them now, you know, the amount of capital is required is so heavy that a lot a lot of them work off-farm jobs and uh, do their farming at night to, uh, to, to subsidize it. So, yeah, so for uh, somebody in the urban area, what is it like for most farmers? What, what is life like today? Well, it's very stressful now, you know, with, and, and it always, you know, far, farming is a good way of life. There's no doubt about it. It's a good way to, good way to raise your family and, uh, and just community. But, you know, as we're... As we keep consolidating, you know, we're losing. We have less farmers on the farm. You know, back in where I'm from in Renville County, at one time growing up in a section, you had like four families living in that section. So you had neighbors close by. You had very close contact with everybody, and you know that that's that's kind of gone away over the years. You know, it's it's been so. There's a lot of a lot of cases. There's nobody living in that section anymore. So now it is a wonder. It's always been a hard life and stressful life, and uh, but. It's always, it's nice to be a, you know, it's nice, gives you, a, you're always optimistic because a lot of times whether you're planting a crop or livestock, you know, in the, in the spring and maybe doesn't look optimistic, maybe it doesn't cash flow, but you always have optimism and, um, 
And it, you know, it, it, it's a wonderful way, but it, it is a very stressful way of life also. And, and Tim Wells, Congressman Tim Wells, I guess we'll call him governor in January, but um, uh, he talked about his kids wanting to be farmers now. And there is this energy. These young people want to farm. And um, like I know Herbie East does, she, she, she has now three, four acres, and she's making it on a CSA as a full-time um, um, biodynamic herb farmer. So, I mean... Uh, and I, I know that's it's not like everyone's going to, uh, well, uh, how do we support this kind of return? Or, or do you think we can return to the days of the family farmer? Well, it, it, you know, and we still base, you know, the farms out there are still run by family farms. There's no doubt about it. It just, you know, it's a lot, you know, a lot of them are a lot larger than they are, than they were before. And there's less of them. That, that's the biggest problem. We're down to the Department of Ag, I think, says there are right around 70,000 farmers in the state of Minnesota now. And, you know, and on dairy, take dairy for an example. The dairy, dairy is really going through a crisis. They had about four, about three or four years now of real, extremely low prices. And we're down to less than, or right around 3,000 dairy farmers in it. It's not too long ago. We were, uh, maybe 10 years ago, we were like probably 7,000 and uh, it's uh, that you know we still have the same number of cows in the state, or probably more, but a lot less people milking those cows. And I, you know, I'd I'd like to have more people milk milking those cows. And it's you know no different on the farm. You know, we 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 need more farmers on the farm because and the more we can do that, the you know it, it's definitely hurting our rural communities. You see a lot of rural communities. Uh, I can think of one an example. I, I just drove through the other day and. Uh, Hardware store is going out of business, and I just on Main Street there about there's only one or two businesses left, and that, you know, I, I can remember when they were all vibrant uh, businesses and going to town with my mother and father on a Saturday night to buy groceries or whatever it was, and the town was booming. So you know, we probably will never get back to that, but we have to figure out how we get, how we help, you know, and the one the one thing that can help too is broadband. Getting broadband around throughout the state would make a big difference you know it's it, it would help the farmers too but it uh, is probably people living down here that would gladly live out in rural minnesota somewhere if they had access to broadband they could start a business or work from home or so that that is a critical thing that at a state level and it, you know it really happen, needs to happen at a federal level it should be looked at like the rural electrification act and really get some federal you know funding behind it but the state we can do some things too so i mean that 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 would benefit everybody yeah, because I mean, uh, I, I'm, I've seen some charts on. Uh, we pay a lot more for internet than other places, other people do across the globe. So trying to have affordable internet for all can make a difference economically and um, can in a lot of different ways. It, it really can, you know, because we talked about healthcare earlier, and you know, the health, the struggles in the rural hospitals and the rural, you know, and. There's less people out here, so it's harder to make harder to make that work. But you know, telemedicine is really big now, or coming on strong, and that does provide another opportunity for the rural to survive. You know, it, the rural and the urban, you know, we're all in this together. And you know, the urban, you got, you know, there's more people down here, so it's easier to, you know, your school districts are uh, expanding, building new schools. So in the outstate, we're try, we're doing we're trying to hang on to population, and it's, it's just the harder, but. Uh, you know, you get all down to it, whether it's uh, raise it or eating food or health insurance. You know, we're all in this together. Yeah, we're all in it together. Um, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and with us in studio is the president of the Minnesota Farmers Union, President Gary Worsh. And there's going to be the 77th annual Minnesota Farmers Convention, and that's held on October, uh, November 16th to 18th. So we'll be talking more about that when we come back. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shamblot from Shamblot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. And I'm Rachel Shamblot. Did you know a lot of people are afraid of the dentist? You don't need to be afraid of my dad. He makes going to the dentist comfortable and even fun. We don't care if you're a dental regular or haven't seen a dentist in years. We just want to make you comfortable and get you out of pain. If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. Native Earth Radio is proud to announce we're adding an extra hour. One hour's too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. Great. More time for me to share important information about our sacred animals. And report national native news with reporters all around the country. Saturdays from 1 to 3 p.m. We are awake. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and streaming live on Facebook. 
Tune in to Democracy Now! for real, independent news and analysis. I'm Amy Goodman. Join me and Juan Gonzalez as we speak with a wide range of people around the world, giving you access to people and perspectives rarely heard on corporate media. Catch Democracy Now! every weekday at 2 p.m. on AM 950. In the process of planning your next event, consider D'Amico Catering. Their team brings extensive experience and knowledge to the table to ensure that your event runs smoothly. With over 20 years of event planning and culinary experience, D'Amico has established their reputation as the Twin Cities' premier caterer. They've been trusted to carry out numerous weddings, corporate functions, and nonprofit fundraisers. D'Amico has the right staff to ensure your event is perfectly executed every time. More at D'AmicoCatering.com. Hi, Gregory Rich, founder and chief at Habitation Furnishing and Design, and now I'd like to invite you to kill your Sunday evenings with me right here on AM 950 with Drink in the Style. It's a one-hour-long conversation of interior design, art, architecture, and pretty much anything else visual and aesthetic, all while enjoying some booze handcrafted by our friends at Mill Valley Kitchen. Can you think of a better way to spend Sunday evenings? Drink in the Style, Sundays. 5 p.m. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Haas. Saturday, chance of snow, high around 26. Sunday, mostly cloudy with a high near 32. And Monday, mostly cloudy with a high near 24. This week's EatLocalMinnesota.com Restaurant of the Week is Lowry Hill Meats. Lowry Hill Meats is your neighborhood full-service butcher shop. They work directly with family farmers. Located at 1934 Hennepin Avenue in Minneapolis, find out more at EatLocalMinnesota.com. studio with us is the president of the Minnesota Farmers Union, President Gary Wirsch, and the 77th annual convention. So is this event open to the public? Well, it is, yeah. You know, we, you know it's obviously a sort of members to come and debate policy of whoever you get elected as delegates at our county conventions. But no, it's, it's definitely open, and we're welcome. Anybody that wants us to come in, just go on our website, or, or uh, mfu.org, and uh, we have an event right there if you want to register. And certainly welcome for, you know, other people to attend if they're so willing. And so what are some of the key issues you will be discussing? Well, a lot of it is, you know, well, health care is obviously the big one. And, uh, you know, the trade policies that in, in Farm Bill. You know, Farm Bill, we need to encourage it, uh, getting it done. Uh, broadband, uh, there's, then uh, you also have an issue of um, fake meat fake meat, the synthetic meat that's being lab-grown and, uh, you know, on labeling, I guess, as a farmer, we want to, you know, we want to make sure it's labeled correctly so it's not, so the consumer, you know, and there's a market, some people are going to want to buy that stuff. There's no, we don't, I don't have a problem with that, but, uh, you know, as a farmer's working on his farm, raising his livestock, we, we want to definitely labeled so the so consumer I'm, knows what they're buying there's such there's so many things going on so when you hear um lab grown meat what do you think well i'm thinking that's not exactly what i'm what i would want to have and uh but you know i guess they're well what it, is it i mean i it's kind of scary you know you know it, it's you know as a farmer you know we need farms and uh you know there's i don't know it's it's it, it's uh it's grown in a lab, and I guess it's not anything I'm too interested in trying. But and that and that's well, where we go and back. Now you know, we go back to because uh, we've done a several shows on the Nobel Conference '54, um, which brought in some of the leading experts in the world on uh, soil health, and there is this emergent understanding of how life works. Um, so our microbiome, uh, a human exposed to Amish dust. I mean, my whole point in saying all this is life is so complex. So I'm also very, very, very skeptical about the technological solutions. I'd rather make um, sort of transformational 
solutions about how we work with each other because I think that um, uh, real farms can feed people real food <laughs> in, a, in a way that works for all. Well, it does. In the Farmers Union, we've always supported, and it goes back to labeling, we've always supported country of, of origin labeling in the, on, our, on the meats and the produce and all that. And, you know, give the consumer give the consumer a choice. The consumer that wants to buy something else, well, you know, let's not, let's, Let's give them a good labeling so as they go into the store, they can see it. And that's why we've always supported country region labeling on, on our meats. Because we know, we know that in the, in the United States, we, we know how they're raised and how they're taken care of and that type of stuff. And you, know, you take that a little farther, you know, natural, organic, whatever. Let's, you know, we need to keep, make sure organic rules are kept in place so that the people that are, you know, we have farm, we have members that are organic and we have members that are not. But, you know, that it works very well for some, but we need to have clear labeling on all of that. Uh, so it does work. And that way the consumer, when he's in the store, they have the opportunity if they want to, if they think they can, if they say meat, for an example, if, or if they th can buy a pound of beef uh, from Mexico or someplace else a little bit cheaper and they're willing to do that. But if, if you have a nice American raise or you know how it's taken care of and you, you know how it's been slaughtered or in the meat inspection services, you know, give the, the consumer has a choice. Let the market decide. Yeah. Let the, um, so I want to... Um I, I want to get a little bit more into history. I see all these little things I want to get. I, I wanted to talk about Farmers Union Camp. It's a little bit of a, a, of a, of a jump, but, uh, but the idea of, of what were the role of the Farmer Union Camp in the state of Minnesota? Yeah, we, we do have a, far, we have a camp program for our, our children from a, a third grade. We have three levels, a junior high or a elementary camp, middle camp, and then a senior high camp. And, uh, we have we have two we have we have our own campground up in uh, by Lake Slayer by Erskine Minnesota and then we do a rental one from the state of Minnesota a campground by New London and uh, it's basically it's a leadership camp that we uh, a lot of we spend some time talking about teaching about cooperatives but it's basically a leadership camp that uh, we get, we run every summer we have counselors that work with that and uh, it's it's been very successful. Cool, yeah, um, and so the healthcare option about that that is supported by the membership is the right for or the ability for farmers to buy into Minnesota care that's um, that's something that your membership's yeah is we looking for actually our membership we've had in our policy for a long time ready to, to support a single payer system but we do we have we have supported the pre, uh, governor Dayton proposed it uh, the last few years of letting the individual anybody that's in the in the individual marketplace to buy into the Minnesota care program and pay the full premium if they qualified for a subsidy they'd get it but if you did not qualify they'd pay the full premium and we farmers we the last couple of years we held about 20 little over 20 rural voices discussions around the state of Minnesota and we heard time and time again we heard the, how the huge cost of health care farmers are by the time you took their um, deductible and their Insurance premium, insurance uh, costs, premiums. They were spending from twenty-five to forty-five thousand dollars a year for health and care, health and uh, care costs. Yeah, and that's just not sustainable, especially with the low prices that you have on the farm. And uh, you know, something needs to be done. So you know, we, our organization, has supported the the right. To, the in the Minnesota Care Buy-in program, there's. This, I know they estimate that it would cost about 12 or 13 million to set it up and get it started, and once it's running, then it, then it goes by itself. But it, you know, it's it allow it allow the state to use their buying power to uh, to help lower the costs. And actually, in some areas of the state where they only have maybe one provider, it would actually expand it so they'd have a little more choice. So it, we do support that. You know, we I know uh, Governor or. Governor-elect Waltz has said he supports it. So we'll see where it goes in this coming, you know, legislation session. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's, you know, instead of dismissing it, because I've heard some say, well, it's not, you know, we're not going there. But I, I think we need to, you know, on the farm, when you have problems on the farm or you're working at your neighbors, you usually get together and you sit down at a kitchen table or wherever it is. And, you uh, you figure things out, you know. And healthcare is that we do need to do it. You know, we we need to sit down. We need to take the politics out of the healthcare, and we got to be willing to sit at the table and uh, try some things. Give, you know, it can be some given. There's got to be some give and take, and we can't just use it to win elections because the people are losing. We're all losing. It's a huge cost. It's a huge cost to our economy. It's a, in any business out here that's running a business and providing healthcare. You know, it's it's 
crippling them too. So it for the economy, the economy right now seems to be doing well, but you know the healthcare cost is still a drag on the economy. We need and you know you just need we need to, to be serious about it and uh, and come to the table and really really sit down and try and figure it out. And so I guess we're hopeful that you know we're, with the, we got it past the election now and we're hopeful that we can do that this year. And as a person who eats, um, I feel obligated for the person that I buy my food from that they can also get health care. So how do we find that community where we're sort of reciprocal with each other instead of just <laughs> doing whatever we're doing now, you know, and how we build that? Um, and uh, I don't know what keeps us from that, if it's just our fear or our what keeps us from that but it's how we find that commonality yeah that, that is you know and, and it's you know it's on all the issues we need to do that on all the issues and you know and work at it and you know it's not easy you know healthcare. you know if it was that simple it would have been fixed but you know i know a, a congressman waltz i was with him a couple of years ago at a at a meeting and a, a question came up about a from a lady about the affordable care act and he, and he you know he said at that point that uh you know the Affordable Care Act with some very good parts of it and some parts that need fixing. And then you pointed out when when Medicare got passed, Congress over 200 times passed legislation to keep offering fixes to it. And, and that's what we need to do. We need we need to just sit. We need to really work together and and start making progress. And you know. And keep fixing it. You know, try things, and if they don't work, let's go back and fix them. And you know, and that's that's how we're going to solve it. And if you know, if we don't get to that point, we're going to be, bat, you know, we're going to be fighting about this forever. And and in the meantime, you know, we're people are going to be losing their lives, or, or you know, or it's it's a cost. We're paying that cost regardless whether the people are going in for preventative care or they coming into the emergency room. We are we are the cost and is still reflected. We need on farmers. This. Farmers yeah. are getting old, and if and farmers need health insurance, so we need to find a way to get farmers to have health insurance. What is and you know and it's one of the most dangerous occupations too. And you know a lot of it is you know you get in a hurry like now we have a wet uh, wet fall and there's still some areas of the state that are still trying to harvest and get their work done. So you get in a hurry and you get rushed. You put in long hours so you know we've all done it you know unfortunately then you you know some uh, get into accidents and you know we've done things that we shouldn't do but that that's when you're stressed and you're in a hurry that some uh, for unfortunately things happen and so it is it, it is important to have health care for all everybody and i also want to talk about the some of the environmental issues the nitrogen fertilizer rules the uh, buffers so let's talk about um, some of the the ecological issues around farming. Well, that's you know that's the thing that you know the most the vast, the vast very vast majority of farmers are trying to do the right thing and trying to work and, and we have to be receptive to it. You know maybe there's things we can do differently too. So we're and, and we are you know the, through technology and our, and uh, the various advances and equipment and stuff like that and uh, we we are we continually we're we're farming a lot different now than we did you know 20 30 years ago or even before that so we have but but at the same time you know we have to, you know we 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 have to look at that and uh, like the buffer bill it you know it, there are some issues that some areas it worked well probably but there's some areas that it's you know not going to make any difference having it but you know at the same time we, we have to be willing to work with things and uh in in uh, the farmers are for the most part and, and on the buffer example there there should you know if the land has been taken out of production there should be a should be a tax credit or something going back to the farmer because it is every it is if if it's truly for everybody's benefit you know everybody should should help pay for that benefit too so it, right. the burden a lot of times the burden gets put on the farmer and that that's what that's where we run into trouble uh, you know, on these some of these issues so but you know well it, yeah because the uh, the costs are externalized for the the damage to the environment but the people who are doing the right things um, like last week we had uh, Brian DeVore and he had with the land stewardship property he has a new book out wildly successful farming and so I did a farmer that put 10 acres um, off off grid um, or off they're not they're they left it for a wild area for the birds um, but then why how do we find a way of supporting that as a whole how do we find a way of um, all supporting that since we all benefit from pollinators and clean water and a livable planet well, that that's that's exactly what needs to happen because you know we get we get a lot of this and that's part of the you know the pushback we hear from from you know farmers and stuff you know everybody wants this stuff and they expect the the farmer to just do it for nothing <laughs> take, you know, and you're struggling to make a you're struggling now to make an income just to pay your bills so when anytime you have to do something additional and you don't get paid for it you know it, it's tough to survive because you you know you're no different than anybody else you're trying to, you're trying to raise a family and pay your bills and and 20 so, 
2018 has been a really hard year to survive in. What well, is? It is. So, you know, there's some, you know, there's some program and that's where maybe the state can help in some of like pollinator stuff. Maybe there's some incentive to help put in things like that, but but we just can't continue taking our our profitability away with no return because you know, the profits on the farm are not there to allow us to do that. Right, and so, but then uh, partnerships like with the University of Minnesota and Forever Green is one practical way of helping. Yeah, the Forever Green has been a good program at the state or at the legislature, and, and uh, university is doing a lot of work on on other other crops and stuff. Forever Green has been doing some work on that. It actually you go back to the Farm Bill too. There's some provisions in the conservation programs in the Farm Bill that helps helps you know nullify some of that and give a farmer an incentive to take some land out of production. So there's a lot of things that can be done, and and it has to be it has to be done together. The farmer can't bear the can't fear, can the cannot bear the brunt of all this by himself. Right. How do we work together? We're talking with the president of the Minnesota Farmers Union, and you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. Do yourself a favor and check out the amazing cuisine of EatLocalMinnesota.com. More than just a website, EatLocalMinnesota.com provides you with the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities. Serving family favorites in Minneapolis since 1964, Milda's Cafe is a great spot for breakfast or lunch. Wake up with their delicious Eggs Benedict or biscuits and gravy and savor their many great lunch options. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Milda serves authentic Finnish pasties. Open weekdays 6 to 3 and now on weekends 8 to 2 on Glenwood Avenue, 4 blocks east of Penn. Specializing in Szechuan and Peking cuisine, the Great Wall Chinese Restaurant has been a local favorite since 1981. They offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include the sesame chicken, imperial beef, and Peking duck. The Great Wall Restaurant is located off 45th and France with takeout available too. More at greatwallrestaurant.us. Be sure to pick up your copy of this month's Natural Awakenings magazine, a free local guide to a healthier and more balanced life. Each monthly issue includes timely, local, national, and global stories. Learn about alternative and complementary medicine, nutrition, fitness for body and mind, personal growth, sustainability, and much more. Natural Awakenings can be found at area health food stores, food co-ops, and retail locations. More information is available at NaturalTwinCities.com. That's NaturalTwinCities.com. I'm Connie Bjork, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind, body, spirit, emotion perspective. Join us next Saturday as we discuss the importance of gratitude to our mental health and how to develop gratitude rituals in our daily lives. Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show, Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life. Looking to offer high-end restaurant-quality food at your next event? Look no further than D'Amico Catering. Their talented team of event planners and chefs will collaborate to perfect a menu that best fits your needs. Whether emphasizing local cuisine or ethnic flavors, organic bites or summertime favorites, they're here to give you choices that align with your taste, budget, and style. Interested in learning more? Please visit D'AmicoCatering.com. That's D'AmicoCatering.com. Radio, and we'll get a look at this music play. This music is from Rising Appalachia, and this band is going to be in the Twin Cities for I Permaculture Action Day. I trust the movement, I negate the chaos, uplift the negative. I'll show up at the table again and again and again. I'll close my mouth and learn to live. 
that is that music just gives me the chills. So that music is from Rising Appalachia, and that band is touring the United States. They're on a permaculture action tour, and uh, it's going to be in the Twin Cities on Sunday, November 18th. It's from 10 to 6. Um, there'll be music and all sorts of all sorts of stuff um, permaculture related at the Wade House. Um, and then on uh, Saturday, November 17th, Climate Generation and Will Steger Legacy is in partnership with Three Rivers District, and they're going to be hosting a public climate conversation conversation at Gail Woods Farm and talking about solutions to climate change and the intersectionality between food and climate change. This event is free and you can get information at it by going to um, www.climategen.org. Also on November uh, 14th, Wednesday, November 14th, Will Steger is going to be at the School of Environmental Studies in Apple Valley, and uh, that's from 6.30 to 8.30, and that's for Wilderness in the Cities. It's a group I've been active in about protecting Lebanon Hills and other issues. Um, And then afterwards, we'll be hanging out at the Mason Jar in Egan. So that's on Wednesday, November 14th. Lots of events coming up this week, and uh, we're here with uh, Gary Wesch from the uh, Minnesota Farmers Union. And then you have an event that weekend, too, the 17th. Yeah, we have our state, our seventy uh, seventh consecutive annual meeting coming up this coming weekend, uh, and uh, that's where our members get together and debate policy, and that's what we advocate as we advocate for rural Minnesota and farmers. So the event is mainly for your uh, members, but it is also open to the public. So yeah, yeah, it is. It is. You know, if anybody's interested in coming, just go on our website mfu.org, and uh, we have an event right there. You can register, or check us out, and see. What, you know, look at the agenda. We have a tentative agenda put up, and uh, you're welcome to look it out, look look it over, and check us out if you're willing to come. Right, and so for 77 years, meeting farmers unions, you've done county meetings, and now you're getting together at the state to talk about solutions and share information and engage as a union would on how we collaborate yeah yeah we've done that you know and and our membership is open to everybody too you don't have to just be a farmer i mean if anybody down here wants Ah. to remember they're certainly welcome to come and uh be a member that's not a problem you know we, we uh you know there's strength in numbers you know as we, as we do a lot of work at the state capitol in washington dc there's strength in numbers and you know we're you know, it's important for farmers union and ag groups to be involved because if we're not there, you know, look like the ethanol industry, we've been very successful providing a lot of good paying jobs in Minnesota, but you know the oil industry is there in D.C. all the time. You know, so in the insurance, you know, whether it's health care, whatever it is, you know, it's important that we have a voice and uh, stick up, you know, and uh, everybody loves farmers, but, you know, there's getting to be less and less of us, but, you know, a lot of people campaign that they're, they'll have, you know, they're a farmer here or a farmer there or something, but uh, it's important for us to be there and uh, let our voices be heard. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to touch on uh, also farmer mental health and the Minnesota Farm Advocate Program. So tell us about how those work. Yeah, the, the farmer health, the Minnesota Farm Advocate Program got started in, back in, uh, I believe, in the 80s during the farm crisis, right? And that's about when it got started. And actually, you know, as a, as a farmer now, if you're having, uh, having trouble uh, cash flow on your farmer and working with your lender. A lot of times, the advocate program will come in and work with the farmer and the and his lender and try try and arrive at a solution how they can uh, how they can make it work. So for it works for both family both partners for the works for the bank and it works for the farmer. So it's just kind of a you know it's an extra help to try and work through a tough situation. And as you know, it started in the, during the farm crisis years. And you know, like I said earlier, we're probably looking at another farm crisis coming you know at us right now. So that's that's important. You know. It's, we, we would like to see more funding in, put into that program. A lot of the, you know, there has, we've gotten some increases in the last few years, but it definitely, you know, there, the need is there. And uh, the rural mental health, um, there was some, there was some money appropriated for it last year, but it got rolled into a, a, an ominous bill at the end, of, which got vetoed. You know, it, that needs to happen. You know, it, but that's part of the thought. We would like to see more bills stand on their own get moved forward because the rural health bill everybody was supportive of it but when it got rolled into this big ominous bill then it, it's just asking for problems you know there and that's why we don't get things done. we need we need to keep we need to work on things and not not wait till the end of legislative sessions and roll everything into one bill and uh 
try and get it my way or the highway. You know, we, we need to, you know, a lot of this stuff, there's consensus. Everybody agrees on it. So there's no reason why we can't move some of this stuff by itself. And that we're hopeful we can move back to some of that stuff this coming upcoming session. But, you know, that, that's definitely what we'll be advocating for. And that's going to be one of the levels of so much frustration when people are inside any political issue is this amount of inertia and all that seems to be stopped. And we can all agree on rural mental health. We, we have total consensus on rural mental health, but something prevents us from actually moving forward and collaborating together. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it's, it's that issue, and there's other issues like that, too. But, I mean, you know, that that's one, I, you know, I'm certainly hopeful that we could try and move something on that, you know, early in the session and get get some funding out there because there's definitely a need, you know. Uh, you know, it's, you hear reports of, and I don't think it happened in Minnesota, but in some uh, some. On the deer, back to the dairy farmer, some farmers, uh, it was on the East Coast, I believe, they got, they got in there with their milk check, they got uh, suicide letters that it came with their milk check because, you know, the farmers are going through that kind of struggle. struggle. So it, it's, uh, it, it, it's serious. It's very serious. And how, um, how we return to a sort of a sacred relationship with the, our food and our farmers and each other and, and you know, actually creating something that can um, be transformative and redemptive that we so somehow I, I remember coming up with this phrase. It's like an economic roulette. I don't want to play economic roulette. Do farmers, are they sort of forced into this economic roulette game and it's just more stress than anyone needs? But it, yeah, there's no doubt about that. We we are in some because go back to healthcare. There's some cases now farmers are dropping their healthcare policies because they can't make the you know you get to a choice. Do you make a payment on your farm or do you make a payment or do you make a payment for healthcare? If you don't make a payment on the farm, you potentially lose your farm. So if you drop your health insurance and something, some sickness or an accident happens to you, then you lose your farm too. So you know it is. It it's uh, very serious. So so in a lot of cases, yeah, we are we are we are playing that game. So um, down our last minute, um, what do, what do you think about the new election, the election results um, with the Minnesota Farmers Union? Well, you know, we're obviously we're glad it's over, and uh, you know, we're hopeful that we put the election politics behind us, put the you know the negative ads and all that stuff. We don't have to listen to them anymore for at least for a short time, but. Yeah, we're we're optimistic. We always are, you know, as back as a farmer, you're always optimistic. We're hopeful now that we got that passed this weekend to work with everybody and you know, and uh, try and arrive at some solutions. Sorry, you mentioned earlier some commonality and that that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. Find that space of commonality. And uh, this has been Food Freedom Radio. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about Permaculture Action Day. And again, um, you can listen, but that event is on uh, on Sunday, November 18th. It's a day of permaculture action. Um, Saturday, November 17th, a climate generation uh, meeting, um, the Minnesota Farmers Union Conference. So there's a lot of activities, a lot of places to get and get involved, show up. And uh, I thank you so much, Gary, for being here and uh, sharing the story of the Minnesota Farmers Union. Yeah, thank you, Laura. It was a pleasure. Thanks.